Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 304 Elementary Statistics with Professor Mark Hunter. I hope you listen and enjoy. Hi, welcome to Unit 3, where we're going to talk about sensation, perception, and learning. And the basic concepts of perception and learning is that a sensation is when we have our sensory receptors, our five senses, our nervous system get information from stimuli. Our perception is what we do with that. How does, what does that mean to us? How does that make sense to us? Um, now, we, ha- we as humans have a threshold about what we can hear or see and, and you know that dogs can hear better than we can and eagles can see better than we can. And, but we have a, uh, when we talk about a threshold, is what's the um, ability that we're m- uh, minimum needed to detect a particular stimulus at least half of the time. Um, signal detection theory just really is how we will detect a faint stimulus, like a sound or a, or a light or something in the background. Um, sometimes with uh, subliminal persuasion is when we have information or stimuli in the background that uh, is not our main focus or too weak to detect and uh, that we'd normally and um, but you may have heard of uh, information about uh, subliminal messages and things like that and so they're usually too weak for us to really have an impact on our um, on our well-being um, they may have a temporary impact, but not an overall long-term impact. Sensory adaptation. You have to be able to, wherever in the environment you are, you start to learn to adapt to the sounds and smells. And Just think about when you go to someplace new and, or moved into a new home and you start hearing things that you've never heard before because it makes a new sound in the previous place. But after a while, you get used to that. We are adapting to our sounds. And um, so anything thing is new, like <clears throat> if you're driving along in your car and you hear a new sound, uh, squeak or something like that, that gets our attention. But uh, things that are repetitious, we start adapting to. Um, so what do we, how do we understand our perceptions? You know, we get this information, but what do we do with it? Part of it has to do with our schemas, the way we see the world. And how do we interpret unfamiliar? Are we scared by the unfamiliar? Are we curious about it? And uh, so, and how have you been taught by others to interpret these things in the past as well? So, um, you know, part of it has to do with our motivation and endurance, so our emotions. So, for example, um, if you're knowing that you're having to walk a far distance, it seems longer if it's if you're tired already. Um, but if you're feeling pretty good and you know, and you have some energy, then you're able to. It doesn't seem so long. Um, the um, as I said, slopes look steeper when we're wearing a heavy backpack or listen to heavy classical music. And so our emotions have an impact on how we perceive things. Now our vision, and uh, just the physics of vision is it's divided into wavelength, intensity, and hue. And so it, you know, you can change the brightness and the colors and 
and things like that. But we're not going to spend a whole lot of time in understanding those. But you can see here that we only can see just a, just a small part of the wavelength that it shows in, that, uh, in the graph here. So we're unable to see all the different types of uh, waves of light that are out there. But uh, God has provided uh, what we need to, to get through this world. The eye is an uh, incredibly complex um, part of our body where we take information. If you notice on the left, there's a candle. But on the inside of the eye, on the right side, near the uh, fovea, you see that the candle is inverted. And so our brain takes that, our eyes take that and actually turn the object upside down. Now our brain actually uh, rotates that again so we can make sense of it. And so in the, its information is sent from the optic nerve uh, into the brain back to the occipital lobe. So uh, parts of our eye that we need are rods and cones. Um, uh, rods are um, things that have to do with uh, light and darkness and cones are really more colors. That's how I always remember cones is for colors. And it's able to, to see. And if someone's colorblind, then they have some abnormalities in the cones of uh, in their eye. We're able to see red, green, blue light. Um, so the, um, um, and this goes into the different types of detail that it has here. As we mentioned earlier, uh, the left uh, side of our brain control, controls what we see in our, in our left vision field. It goes to the right side of our brain and same with the right to the left. And this is a path that information, sensory, visual sensory information takes from our eyes um, into the visual area of the thalamus back to the visual cortex. Um, but when you're seeing things, you're able to both see and hear and have a, um, and different parts as well, and you're able to see lots of different things at the same time. And our brain is able to do this. It's, it divides it up into different subdimensions. Uh, for example, motion and form and depth and color. All these, these are four different things, but our brain takes all this information and unites it and so we're able to make understanding of it. Um, a term that is not as popular now as it once was in the 20th century is gestalt, but it's really the, the idea of the organized whole. And probably an idea is, what do you see when you look at this? Do you see um, uh, these blue kind of Pac-Man looking shapes? Do you see arrows? Do you see a cube? Um, so what is this? mean to you? What is this part of it? And uh, so a lot of times people who design logos will do this sort of thing to, um, you know, to kind of give different messages that are uh, in, all united through the, uh, the whole. Um, the idea of uh, visual effects, you know, do you see two faces or do you see a vase when you look at this? And you've probably seen some of other uh, optical illusions that we have is that what do you focus on? And that's a whole other stereo, uh, area of study in, in psychology. How do we group things together? What do we tend to make into coherent groups? Is it because they're close to one another, proximity? Are they smooth? Are they continually? Do they fill in gaps? And so 
those are areas that we study and a lot of it has to do with children and uh, this experiment here is actually uh, one that's been used called a visual clift where this um, baby is on a, a table and it's a glass top and it's been um, given and it's perfectly safe for the baby to crawl across that top to its mother but it sees that the pattern changes in this uh, checkerboard pattern and it's and it's able to have this this idea of 3d perception and so psychologists look at this as a way to see when does this skill develop uh, if, if younger babies don't uh, notice it and just go straight to mom older children will look at it and be cautious because it looks like they're going to fall um, the understanding of shape consistency and how are we going to uh, be able to uh, understand and this is used a lot in art and how do we receive information um, you know the idea of perceiving objects is uh, having constant size even when the distance between them varies so but we also have non-visual senses and our sound and the idea of different waves that we get the information um, and our ears detect that um, this is just like we had wavelength and, and hue and things with vision we have uh, amplitude length and um, and so these affect the, um, the amount and types of sound that we hear um, sound is just really bands of compressed and expanded air and so you feel the vibration that someone speaks and because the air is making movements and so you feel it with whatever you know uh, you've probably done the experiment with tin cans and the string and so the human ear detects these changes in air pressure and then transforms them into neural impulses and this is uh, which the brain decodes as sound and as uh, as you can see here just the terribly complex structure of the ear and the, the outer ear of course which we see and then the middle ear which the uh, uh, the bones that uh, provide movement and then the uh, cochlea which takes the information and, trans and transmits it to the brain and Fortunately, we are able to have um, technology of cochlear implants that uh, are able to, when there's damage into the, the ear, to uh, bypass that and to go straight into the brain and to give them uh, a child or an adult uh, the ability to hear. Um, so we're able to respond to sound with our brain and uh, that um, and, but we also use sound to locate things and so if it, someone loses the ability to hear in one ear they often have difficulty understanding where did that sound come from um, you know they're we're able to use the physics and the different uh, ways to determine the location but if you lose hearing then that it interferes with the ability to do that um, some waves strike the ear more uh, sooner and more intensely than others um, and because of that we are able to locate the sound's direction so think of it as you're in a movie theater and we have the surround sound system and then um, something is 
they have the ability now to, if something happens on the left side of the screen, the sound comes from the left side. So these are uh, different abilities now, but our brain is set up to think of that. And, um, but even if we, um, we it would be disorienting if we saw something on our left side but heard it in our right side. Um, our sense of touch, uh, we feel pressure, feel warmth, cold, pain, um, the, um, and the importance of this. And, um, you, and how do we interpret pain? Uh, how do we have uh, an understanding of that? Um, you know, some people are biologically more um, receptive to pain, and, you know, it's, pain is more debilitating for them. Also is what has been your, the psychology of pain? You know, have you seen others in your family uh, respond to pain? And how do you experience it? Um, what is, you know, what painful experience have you gone through? What is the cultural attitude toward pain? Are you supposed to just take it and not say anything? Or are you supposed to be more open to it and uh, reveal that you're going through pain? Um, and just like we talked about earlier with the candle and the finger, the same thing occurs like with the pain circuits that we have in our feet and legs and sends, still sends the information through our spinal cord to the brain. So uh, we do have the ability to taste and the different types of taste that we can have, sweet, salty, sour, bitter. Um, the, um, uh, so these are the things that, um, you know, we, this information is relayed through our tongue, but eventually goes to our brain and we make that. So we, the sense of smell and the, taking the chemical uh, senses and making sense of that. And so when you smell um, and you go into a um, Starbucks or a coffee shop and you have that smell of freshly brewed coffee, you know, you may not even see the coffee, but your brain is also making an association with that. And that we, and we start making associations and thinking, and you probably have had memories of things that you smelled or touched or had food tasted in the past. And it brings back memories of your, in your past. And so our brain makes associations with all those areas. So this goes into the information of the sense of smell and just the, uh, um, just the complexity that God has provided in the way that he's designed us. And so it's a, um, um, again, you know, probably one of the more interesting things is just the idea that when you can smell something that reminds you of an, a, either a good experience or a bad experience, all that's taking place within your brain. So that ends for this uh, lesson, and we'll see you in the next unit.